The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 15. We'll pick up where we left off last time. Tonight we have the, that's a great question that Pat hosts um, once a month. And it's usually at 7 o'clock, but due to the Chiefs game, they're moving it to 6, okay? So make sure that you plan accordingly. Um, invite you to be a part of that. I saw Mark Brackett, man, came in. Where's Mark at? And Mark, man, he's a new Marine fresh out of boot camp. Come on. We're... We're excited to get our Marine home in a couple of weeks, but uh, congratulations, Mark. We're proud of you. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, it's a big deal. I'm kind of getting emotional thinking about my son going across that. Anyway, can we get back on track here? Um, so we left off um, with, with Abraham. He's got this incredible uh, victory that he experienced and sort of a celebration he's having with Melchizedek, priest of God, and um, I gave you guys some Skittles. Remember that? Anybody gave out their Skittles? Oh, my God. <laughs> How many of you ate the Skittles? Come on. Ah, that's good. Uh, I ate mine, too. Uh, but I, I had two packs. I had two packs. So, anyway. If you did do anything with your, your, your Skittles, you, something happens with those. I'd love to hear a story about that. Um, the idea is just kind of to think about how God is consistently moving and giving us opportunities to minister and represent uh, Him in the world today. And so today we're going to pick up the further development of, of, of Abraham's life because it's fascinating to me as I, I unpack these, um, the story of Abraham. I, you know, I've read through Genesis. I, don't, I can't even tell you how many times I've read through Genesis over the last 30 years, but when you teach through it, man, you just see stuff that, yeah, you'd never seen before, and, and, and one of the things that I've never put together is it just seems so um, clear that God is sort of stretching him and just growing him as he goes along, and he's having these ups and downs, these wins and losses, and God is working in spite of that, and he continues to believe God um, in, in the midst of his um, wins and in the midst of his failures, and he repents and, and gets back on track, and God just sort of continually has him on this journey. We looked a few weeks ago how he, he totally didn't listen to God, took things into his own hands, went down to Egypt, had to get a, a, a lesson in humiliation down there and, and return back to the place he was supposed to be, but God continued to work in the midst of all of it. And so as we get here today, we see that he's come off of this high. He's gone through this, um, this battle where Lot has been uh, taken hostage, and, and he goes in to capture Lot, and, and, and you know he takes on all these different kings. I think there's four kings he defeats. Um, and, and, and so he's coming back, has this, is this victory, and He's back home and all of the sort of hype of it all is gone. And he gets a little nervous and we see him some fear setting in. And so that's where we, we start in chapter uh, 15, verse 1. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield 
your very great reward. So he's in this place of fear. He's nervous about what's going on, and God knows he's nervous, and he comes to him, and he speaks to him. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And he starts to have this conversation with God. And it's interesting because up to this point, all we've seen is God. When God talks, Abraham does it. Um, or Abraham fails to obey and God is intervening in the midst. But now Abraham is talking to God. There's a conversation going on. And so we see a progression in his walk with the Lord and the development of his um, uh, spiritual, I'd say, discipleship. He's learning how to follow the Lord, and now he's in a conversation with him. And then the Lord came to him, and he said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so, so shall your offspring be. So he's in the tent with Abraham. Abraham's in this intimate moment, and God says, Listen, come out here, I want to show you something. He has him look up at the stars and says, if you can number those, that's how many descendants you're going to be. And then we come to one of the most important verses in all of the Bible, um, verse 6, and it says that Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And I say it's one of the most important verses. It's quoted in the New Testament. We have this doctrine known historically in the church, this teaching that the just shall live by faith. It's in faith alone. Um, and, and so it's not our works. It's not our performance. It's what we believe. And we see here that Abram believed the Lord and he was found righteous. What did he believe? He believed what God said. And so God spoke to him. I saw a funny meme this week. He said, uh, man, I, I'd like to hear the voice of God. And the guy responds and said, well, Read the Bible. He says, I want to hear the voice of God uh, audibly. He said, well, read it out loud. Right? <laughs> and so we do hear the voice of the Lord through the word, but Abram actually is, he's being ministered to by God because God is preserving his word. We have the story of uh, Abram and, and, and it's left behind for us to be encouraged and learn how to grow in our faith. And, and Abram just believes God for what he said. And so for us, when we do the same thing, when we believe, we believe in Jesus, we believe that he died on the cross of Calvary for our sins, and, and we just believe that, then we're righteous. <laughs> we're not righteous because we come to church. We're not righteous because we serve. We're not righteous because we give. Uh, we're not righteous because we forgive people. We're righteous for one thing. You believe in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, that he is God in the flesh, that he died on the cross of Calvary for your sins and rose from the dead, you believe that, you're righteous, okay? So that's pretty cool. Like you stop and think about it, the just shall live by faith, and faith alone in that truth right there. When we believe that, we're righteous. Now, there's a working that righteousness into our lives that determines how blessed our experience this, on this side of eternity will be, but that's, that's sort of the blessing of God falling on our lives, the favor of God falling on our lives. But if we're going to be righteous, it's just based on our faith and belief in who Jesus is. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So he reminds him, 
as he's dealing with this fear and he's dealing with these questions about how this will all come to pass, he's like, hey, don't you remember? You were living in that pagan place. You didn't know anything about me. And I came to you and I called you out of that place and I called you to begin following me. And so he reminds him, I'm going to give you this land. And so Abram says to him, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so he's, 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 Stretching Abram. Abram is wrestling with what God has said, even in his word to him, and he's trying to grasp it. He's trying to understand it. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And it was important that they were three years old uh, because that meant that this was going to cost Abraham something. It was a legitimate sacrifice. You know, this at three years old, you're, you're you're, you're getting to a maturity in an animal. For bow hunters, man, quit shooting all the two-year-olds. Let them, they want them to get, you want to shoot big bucks? You got to let them grow up, you know? And I, I like to take a, let me get back on track, but <laughs> this is not a bow hunting seminar. This is a sermon. Uh, but anyway, th- th- these things were mature. They could reproduce. They, so, you know, when when he says, bring me an offering, bring me a sacrifice, bring me something that's going to cost you a little. Uh, and so Abram brings the, the, the heifer and the ram and, and, and the goat and the dove and the pigeon and all of these. He cut them in two and he ranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And so what's going on here is he splits the heifer in two, one piece on this side, one piece on this side, does the same with the goat and the ram, and then he takes the dove and the pigeon and puts them adjacent to one another. And this was sort of a, culturally, this is how they would signify a covenant. And so both parties would make this, they would make this sacrifice, and then both parties, as they entered into a covenant, would pass between them. And it was a sign, it was to seal that we are entering into a covenant relationship in this moment. Sounds like a beautiful wedding. <laughs> Bloody stuff, right? Oh, anyway, that was, okay, y'all, I missed that one. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so he's, he, they pass between, and, and it's to remind you that if you didn't keep your end of the deal, then what happened to the sacrifice is what would happen to you. And it would be justified because you were doing a public display of entering into this covenant agreement with one another. And so Abram does this. It's, I, I think it's probably early in the day, early in the morning. And as he makes this sacrifice, this is all that God has told him to do. Like he's, he's trying, to understand, trying to understand how this is going to happen. How is he going to take possession of the land? And God says to him, make this sacrifice. So he makes the sacrifice. And these birds come, and they start trying to take it. They try trying to steal it. And so he's driving them out of there. He's running them off as they're coming and trying to eat the sacrifice that he's made. And he's doing this all day long, and God hasn't done anything. God hasn't responded to his obedience in making the sacrifice. And then it says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, I would underline that if I were taking notes and I were you. And especially some of you who are younger, if you've never experienced a thick and dreadful darkness falling over your life, you will. If you live long enough, it will fall on your life. 
and it will be terrifying. And we need to see what happens in the midst of it because I've had that experience happen in my life, but always I see that the Lord steps into it and he moves. Something happens as a result of it. And so this thick and dreadful darkness came over him as he's trying to defend um, the sacrifice he's made from these birds of prey. Then the Lord said to him when he's in this sort of a trance state, um, and he says, the Lord said to him, know, know for certain that for, for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. And so he's giving him a prophetic utterance of what was going to happen to his descendants. What happens to Moses and the, and the Israelites in Egypt as Joseph and, and Jacob, the patriarchs, move into Egypt over a 400-year period? They grow into this great nation, but they become slaves of the Egyptians, and they become oppressed and mistreated. And then it says, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So even though they're mistreated, I will come and I will intervene in that moment, and they will become wealthy as they leave that bondage um, from those oppressors. You, however, he says, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. Abram, that's not going to happen to you. You're going to live a long life a good life, um, and when you die, you're going to go on into the afterlife. There's something I have for you after you die. Then he says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. And what's that about? Well, he's telling Abraham, this is how this is going to go down. You're going to grow into a great number of people over a long period of time, and I'm going to tolerate the sin of the people that are living in this land for a period of time, but then I'm going to bring your people back, and they're going to bring judgment on the sin of these people. Now, this is not uncommon for God to do. He's done it. Um, we see God. He is outside of time. He is before time. He has actually created time and he works inside of time. It says that Jesus, at just the right time, he was born of a virgin. When God said that it was the perfect time, then he came, and there was a judgment that came on the nation of Israel with the arriving as, of Jesus as Messiah. Um, and, and, and we know that God will tarry, and he will come again, and judgment will fall on the earth. When will that happen? When the sin of people reaches its full measure. And so we look at the world, and the world looks broken, and sometimes we feel like it's becoming more and more sinful, and it will continue to do that until it reaches its full measure. And then God will say it is full, and he will return to bring judgment on, on the world again, uh, as the word um, promises and teaches. And so this is what he's saying. I'm going to use you to bring judgment on these people. And so what that teaches us about God is not that he's vengeful, he's patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He's being patient and, and he's tolerating the sin of this wicked people who are living in this land, but ultimately he's going to raise up a, um, a nation that teaches about righteousness and he's going to use that nation to bring judgment on these people. And it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. 
And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. That's a lot of ites, right? That's the only thing, there's only historical a document of anything like that, the God coming and making a promise about a land. And so sometimes people go, I don't, I don't understand how you can believe the Bible. And I'm like, you, you watch a newsman. Like the news is just like this same thing that is mentioned thousands of years ago is still right at the center of all that is happening in the world. And, and that should tell us, man, that should bolster our faith. Man, God has spoken to us about world affairs and, and the things that are even happening in our lives. It, it's, it, we see it's still at the center of uh, attention of this, this particular promise. Israel has never possessed all that land. Even to today, they've never possessed all of that land that God has said that he, he would give them. And so a lot of people, they view their eschatology about the return of Christ is that it has to do with the land that God will reclaim. And that's when Israel as a nation will uh, become, uh, or the, this prophecy will be fulfilled when Jesus returns and, and he leads and, and rules himself. And so anyway, that's a different, uh, different, different topic. But we look at this and we see that God is giving a lot of truth to Abraham as he's walking out and learning how to follow the Lord. And, and we see him kind of entering in to where he's in a different relationship as he's traveling down what we've been referring to as the highway of holiness. We enter this thing. We're all sort of traveling to the same place. Um, but the reality is, is that God has to grow us. And, and there are people that, that we look to and we, we, we see them out and they, they feel like they're ahead of us. And, and they really are. And it's only because they've been on the road longer but they're no higher than us. They can just help us understand how to navigate through this thing called uh, life. And so God is taking Abraham on this journey, and we're getting kind of a, uh, a front seat view of how he's doing it, how he's growing him. And so there's a few takeaways I'm going to share with you that I found encouraging um, to me. One of them I saw several, several years ago, but a few of them just as we unpack the whole chapter, here's what the Lord showed me. First of all, when the Lord has you, he has your back. Abe was afraid. He was afraid because uh, he was thinking about these kings. See, Abe was, he was living like outside of the city. He was living in a remote area up on Mount Mombre. He had some, some friends that had come around him. He'd made some allies. They were they were having a good time. God was blessing them, man. No, no problems really to speak of in their lives. Everything was fruitful, and, and they were just enjoying life. And then Lot gets entangled with the things of the world. He gets taken hostage and carried off, and God's like leads Abraham to, to go after him and rescue him. So he goes and he rescues him. And then he comes back, and he's after all the hoopla is down, he's like thinking about it. He's like, what if those guys regroup and come after me? <laughs> like, um, I was up here living fine and didn't have to get involved in all of that, and now I'm a little bit concerned about it. And so his mind goes to work on him, and as his mind is working on him and causing him a little bit of fear, God comes to him and says to him, I got your back. 
Um, I'm your shield, I'm your reward. And he comforts him with those words. And Abe has questions. And I'm encouraged by this because it teaches us that, men, we can have some questions about the things God calls us to obey. It can make us a little nervous, and, and we, can, we can want to know more from the Lord, and the Lord is patient with us, and he grows us and stretches us. Now, there are things that we can do that are not okay to question God, like you might fall into an experience where you are, it's, you're suffering for some reason or another, and you take on an attitude of, God, how dare you? How dare you do this to me? When I gave my life to you, I've believed you, and you put me in this position. How dare you do this to me? That's not what Abraham was doing. Abraham was more in the place like, I I believe you, Lord, but I don't understand this. Would you help me in my unbelief areas so that I can, I can faithfully follow you better? So he's sort of questioning him in a, in a posture that is bent toward him that wants to stretch, wants to grow. He's not mad at God. He's not angry at God. He's not pointing the finger or shaking his fist in the face of God. He's humble. And he's, he's just saying, God, I I want to know more. I want to be able to follow you in a way that pleases you and honors you. And, and, and so um, he thinks, he's saying in his mind how his mind is working. He's like, my servant is going to become my heir. Now, what this teaches me is that we need to be reminded is that how we think things are going to work out are usually 100% of the time wrong, right? It just never works out that way. He's thinking in his head, it's going to have to be that he's my heir because I don't have any. I'm an old man. I can't have kids now. And, and God steps in and he says, no, he is not going to be your heir. Somebody that your wife gives birth to, a child of yours, is going to be your heir. And he steps in and tells him that's not how it's going to work. And, and so what we, we, we see from this is that a lot of times things don't work out like we think that they're going to. I'm reminded of several uh, of you that I've even talked to over the years, and we've prayed and agreed to pray about things, and we petitioned the Lord, and, and it doesn't feel like anything's going to happen, and then um, it maybe even feels like it's sort of dead, and we're moving in a different direction, and then all of a sudden, God answers the prayer, and we're not really ready for him to answer the prayer that he answers in the way that he's answered, and we're like, Wait a minute, and I've, I've, I've told some of you, listen, when God answers your prayers, it's usually not the way you think he's going to answer them. And, and we have to be okay with that. You have to trust him in that. And, and so God says to him, no, it's not going to happen like that. You don't draw up the plans. You're not sovereign. I'm sovereign. You see, we get in this place where we often want to ask God, here's the plan. I've got it all lined out. God, will you do this? And God's like, no, why would I do that? That's boring. Like, like you don't even know what you're doing. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know any of this. And you certainly don't know how you need to grow. And if I do all of that the way that you want me to do that, you're still going to be stuck on the side of the road on the highway of holiness like you've been the last 10 years. And so, no, I won't do that, right? You say, but I will do it this way. And you say, you say, okay, that's what you got to do. You got to have faith and believe God and just say, well, okay, if we're going to do it that way. We're going to do it that way. And that's what God said to Abraham. It's not going to be Eliezer. It's going to be somebody from your own um, uh, um, um, relationship with, with Sarah. There's going to be a child from her womb, and that's who it's going to be. Come out, look at the stars, and I'll show you how many descendants there are. And he says, I believe you, God. I believe you. 
And then he reminds him, didn't I bring you out of this place, uh, 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 the land of, uh, of Ur, and didn't I bring you and tell you that I was going to give you all this land? And, and so we see in this that, man, all the Lord asks us to do is believe him, and that makes us righteous. But what about living it out? What about experiencing the fruit of the land? Because now he takes him, and, and he, he's going to take him outside and, and, and tell him, I, didn't I give you the land? And, and this is my second takeaway. You never know the power of evil until you start to fight against it. Like, you'll never know it. Matter of fact, some of you are like, no, I, didn't, I don't have anything evil happening in my life. It's because you're not fighting against it. Like, when you start fighting against evil, you will start to experience the power of evil in your life. And the more effective you are at fighting against evil, the darker evil will get around your life. And the more um, strategic it will get to try to trip you up. And so, like, when you start fighting against it, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. I just absolutely love it. You never know the power of evil until you start to fight against it. When you, when you do that, man, you're, you're going to be aware, geez, this is not easy. A lot of people think, well, I'm broken. My life is like a mess. Uh, yes, I need Jesus. Save me. And then you think it's going to be easy. No, man, you just entered a war. Like, you, you, you just finished. I guarantee you, Mark would tell you he thought it was going to be easy to be a Marine, but he wouldn't tell you that now, would you, Mark? <laughs> and and I'm gonna, what, what, what's crazy about that is that now you are a Marine, but if you got called into battle, you would learn why that boot camp was so difficult, is you'd be engaged in a war. When you sign up with Jesus, you're getting on the highway of holiness, and you're not taking a tour on Route 66 to go sightseeing. You're entering a battleground. You're in a war, and you're supposed to be fighting against all of the evil around you that is trying to take advantage of you, and that's what we see happens in Abram's life. And so he asks the Lord, how is all this land going to be mine? How is this going to be mine? I don't understand how that's going to happen. And God tells him, bring me an offering. So he goes and he prepares the offering. He lays it all out. And, and what do we see the next thing that happens? These birds show up to try to steal it. They're trying to take the very thing that Abraham is offering to God as he's listening and trying to walk out his obedience. The very thing he offers to God, these birds are coming and trying to steal it. What did Jesus say? I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So the enemy is always going to be coming and attacking. And uh, there's a sermon I preached several years ago I borrowed uh, from, and I'm not going to do the whole sermon this morning, but I borrowed this part from it, um, and, and I call it the birds of prey. And, and what we have to do is we have to recognize is that when we believe in Jesus, I believe you, Jesus, it's credited to me as righteousness. I believe you died on the cross of Calvary for me, to save me. I believe that I was guilty because I'm a sinner, and I believe there's nothing I could do about my sin except believe that you took care of it on the cross. I believe that, Jesus. Righteous. Now, I am a citizen of heaven, and so I'm to start thinking like heaven. But Jesus said when his disciples said, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
What does that mean? That means that when I believe that Jesus was a sacrifice for my sins, it's credited to me as righteousness. I am a citizen of heaven now. The Ephesians says all of my spiritual blessings are in heavenly places, seated with Christ in heavenly places. So to bring heaven to earth, even though I'm already righteous, I got to walk this out. And that's when I'm starting to get movement on the highway of holiness. I'm not just getting on the highway and going, well, look here. Here I am. That's just a traffic jam. That keeps other people from being able to get any movement in their lives. We've got all these people getting on the highway, nobody conquering any territory, and we got a log jam going on, man. If we could get everybody moving down the highway and bringing heaven to earth, then we would start moving at a rate to where we would see the kingdom of God expanding. And just like um, Abram is being told by God that he will give him all of this territory, God has promised to the church that he would give us the promised life and, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. You say, well, why aren't churches growing more? And why aren't you growing more? That's why the church is not growing more. I'm growing. I feel like my part of the church is growing, man. And I feel like the more I hear your story about how you are the church and you're growing, the more it makes me want to grow. And the faster I see you moving, the faster I want to go. And the faster other people see us moving, the faster they want to go. But when we get stuck in traffic, man, it can be a miserable situation. And so let us look and go, how do I bring heaven to earth? Well, here's the key. Faith drives away birds of prey. That's what faith does. Faith is in action, man. Faith is always looking and going, that is a bird of prey trying to steal my offering. I've laid my life down for Jesus. I'm trying to think like heaven and walk here on earth. I'm keeping my head up there and my feet on the ground. I'm trying to walk with all the power and spiritual authority I have, but I'm being humble enough to know that I have to submit to the authority of God and listen to his word and walk it out into my life. And all of a sudden, heaven starts coming down to the planet and that's when I'm starting to understand how powerful evil is because the birds of prey start showing up in my life. And I didn't got no birds of prey in my life. That's because your faith is dead. If your faith is alive, you're going to see birds in your life. A friend of mine wrote a book. He's no longer living. He said, the, the, he said, the buzzards are circling, but I'm not dead yet, Lord. Like the, you can feel them up there, man. And, and, and that's what happens is that you feel like you're being attacked all the time. Here are three birds of prey I'm going to share with you real quickly before we get to the big idea. The first one is the condor of complacency. I got pictures of these birds. They're hilarious. I, I didn't take time to put them up. But, but a condor is an interesting bird. It's one of the uh, largest birds in North America. I don't remember what the wingspan is, like nine feet or something. Huge bird, but weak talons, can't carry anything. Never known to attack another animal, ever. Survives on roadkill. Needs two pounds of meat a day. Doesn't necessarily eat two pounds of meat a day, but needs two pounds of meat a day. And so when it finds something, it eats and it eats and it eats and it eats. It will eat so much that sometimes it can't hardly get up in flight and will just need to get on a low limb and rest a while. So lazy that he will not construct a nest. Lives in a cave or on a, cleave, a cliff face somewhere. Won't do anything. Just looking for what somebody else has done to feast on. And when we see this bird, we see 
that uh, he, he has a lot in common with a, a lot of church folk today. And one thing that's fascinating about this bird is after it consumes a lot, um, it'll get into a group of other uh, uh, condors and they will communicate with hisses. <laughs> and, and they will preen and, and care for themselves and bathe constantly. And they're so ugly, like so, so ugly. And so what do we learn? The condor of complacency is a weapon that the enemy, Satan, will send right after a major victory in our lives. You're, you're like, man, we're going to do this thing. We're going to commit. We're, we're, we're not going to let Satan have our marriage. We're going to commit, man. We're going to get in this thing. We're going to start going to church. And you start going, and, and you get a, a win somewhere. And then, and then down the road, you start to get a little complacent. Uh, you give your life to Jesus, man, and you're, you're like, man, I'm on fire for the Lord. You get baptized. Everybody's fired up, man. You give your testimony. People come up to you. Oh, your testimony was so good. It encouraged me so much, and you're fired up, and then you sort of don't recognize that all of a sudden the enemy flew down a condor of complacency, and you don't have any new stories. That's why your pastor's giving you Skittles. Try to create stories in your life. You don't have any new stories. You've got a condor of complacency that is lit on your life, and you're getting no movement. And you need to run that thing out and go, where's my new story, man? Where is, where is God moving in my life? What is the new thing that the Lord has taught me from his word? How is he challenging me? How is he asking me to surrender? And if he's not, you've got condors lighting on your life, and they're eating all the roadkill that they want. You're stuck. And, and so what we got to do, drive that thing away, man. Just go, it is a condor is on my life. How could I let a condor on my life? It's because you just went to sleep and the enemy flew that thing in there because that's what he wanted to do. And it's always coming after a major victory. You get, man, you're so fired up and, and, and you're on this high and the condor is always going to come. So you got to be aware of it and you got to shoo that thing away. Here's the second um, bird of prey, the hawk of hopelessness. The hawk's um, greatest weapon is its grip, and it likes to focus on easy targets, smaller ones. And it usually cannot consume uh, the whole thing in one bite, so what it does is it takes bite-sized pieces. Okay, so here's the deal, man, is that when you are in, in life, in relationships, in marriage, in a church, um, all kinds of things, is that you will experience as you're starting to get movement from the Lord, the enemy will fly the hawk of hopelessness into your life and he will start trying to take a little bite at a time. And if you don't recognize it over a two-year period, he can consume that relationship and just eat it all up, man. And I remember I was teaching on this series uh, several years ago uh, or this this idea that I taught this sermon. We had the steeple outside, man, and, and we didn't have the cross at that time. And it's a dang hawk, man. He's laying right on the cross. On the morning that I preached the sermon, somebody said, here's your hawk of hopelessness, <laughs> right? And it's like, well, it's like, it's so anyway, it's kind of funny, but he, he doesn't have a place to land like right now. Like we moved that steeple out of the way. We kept hoping against hope that one day we would come to the place that financially we would be able to deal with this building that looks so irrelevant and said so many wrong things about the kingdom. And, and we just kept hoping against hope. And eventually like that, that, that was there. Man, when, when they called me in 2011 and said, what would you do? I said, I'd do something to this building. That vision was was born from the Lord uh, 12 years ago. 
But it took years before um, that actually came uh, to fruition. And what did we do? We just kept uh, hoping against hope. That's what Abraham did when, when the uh, hawk of hopelessness was flown into his life. He's trying to take it out one bite at a time. What does he do? He talks to the Lord. I don't understand how is this going to happen. Is it Eliezer? No, it's not Eliezer. I told you what the promise was. Believe it. I believe it, Lord. But how is this going to happen? And he, he continues this conversation with the Lord, and the Lord just keeps working truth into his life. And that's how you do it. You just keep hoping against hope until God gives you enough information that you see the next thing to do. You take that step and you shoo that bird out of your life. If you don't, he will eat your marriage. And some of you, he's been biting away at your marriage for several years. And he's just chewing. We see this. Abby and I, we've been married 27 27 years in a week or two, the 14th. Hey. (laughs) We've got to a point where we can recognize the enemy's trying to eat one bite at a time. And we can can start, ah, this is an attack. And we've kind of got there. But it takes a while, man. You just have to shoo that thing out. Otherwise, you're just going to hate each other because you're going to do things that, 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 that your, your spouse doesn't like, right? I do things you don't like, don't I? I know it's surprising, guys, but sometimes I do. <laughs> and she does things that frustrate me. But you know what? I love you to the ends of the earth. I would never even think about doing life without you. Like, we're in it to win it. Like the hawk of hopelessness does not roost in the Holbrook marriage. He has no place there. And when he tries, we will drive him away. And that's what you got to do, man. You got to keep him driven away. And you hope against hope, even when things are bad, and you will see the Lord do amazing things in your life. And the final one is the falcon of fear. Probably the fastest animal on on the planet, been clocked at 180 miles per hour and loves to catch its prey from above by dive bombing. And falconers love the falcon as their choice. Now, what is a falconer? Did you know you, you, could, you can hunt with a falcon in Kansas? What am I doing with a bow, right? <laughs> that sounds amazing, man. But anyway, but it's the favorite choice of the falconer, man. You let that thing go and it'll dive bomb down and, and, and can catch other uh, other birds. And, and what do we learn from this? Is that Satan's favorite weapon is fear. As soon as you have faith and as soon as you believe God for something, you're going to get terrified. And some of you have never given faithfully. You've never taken your finances and been a, a steward before the Lord. And that's scary, man. And, and as soon as you do it, man, you're going to be terrified. And, and the enemy is going to try to dive bomb in on your life. Uh, some of you uh, have just started coming to church, man, and you, you're like, mm, I like this church. I feel like I'm learning something. But then you're getting afraid because now people are starting to say, well, man, you feel like you're changing a little bit, and some of your friends may not be along for the ride. <laughs> you're going to get afraid. Are you going to be alone? What if you stand up for the Lord? Are your friends still going to be in relationship with you? And, and maybe you're a high school student and you're worried about that. That is the falcon of fear trying to light on your life and trying to take what God has for you. And so he's coming down. He's trying to take the sacrifice. You lay your life down on the altar and say, here it is, Lord. And the enemy comes and he tries to snatch it away. And what we have to do, 
is drive it out of there. Drive it out of there. Fear will come out of nowhere, nowhere and hit you like a bullet, man. It's happened to me. I'll have something happen. I'll say, we're going to do this, man. We're going to step out in faith and do it. And all of a sudden, man, you just start getting nervous. Like the next day, you're like, what have I done? And then you have to be reminded, man, the Lord called me into this. This wasn't my idea. I could tell the Lord was leading me in it. Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night. My heart will be beating, and I'll be worried about something. And what do I do? It's a falcon of fear, man. He has no business in my life. So I go to the living room, I get out on the floor, and I pray a simple little prayer. Lord, I am afraid right now, and I know I should not be afraid. Don't let me be anxious. Help me to get up from here and and go back to bed and go straight to sleep. And and then I I say amen. I go get two Oreos and a glass of milk and go back to sleep. (laughs) So... And so the, the Lord, like, he will wake me up sometimes, and that's the falcon of fear trying to light on my life, and I have to drive him away. And so Abe is driving these birds away, and all that it is, I think, is just a picture of faith in action. Like, it, it's our faith, all that faith that credited righteousness to us, it's putting it to, into action, it's bringing heaven to earth, as Jesus said we would do, and which brings us to the big idea, it's the good life, and it gets better. It's a good life. Uh, Abe is exhausted. <laughs> He's exhausted from defending the offering from the birds. He falls into a deep sleep, and dre- a dreadful darkness falls on him. And in the midst of the dreadful darkness, truth is dumped. And he receives the prophetic promise of what would happen to the nation of Israel. And symbolically, a smoking fire pot and a burning torch pass through the sacrifice. Notice that Abraham doesn't pass through it. Just the burning torch and or the smoking uh, fire pot and the burning torch pass through it, which is a symbolic of God passing through, sealing the covenant, saying, this is my promise to you. It's not contingent upon you. It is contingent upon me. And so we look in the New Testament, what do we have? He said, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul teaches us that we are sealed with the Spirit. And so the smoking, um, the smoking fire pot and the torch, the burning torch, is symbolic of the refining fire of God falling on our lives. He says, well, when you pass through the fire, like some, there will be gold, silver, precious stone, and everything else is wood hay, and stubble. And the wood, hay, and stubble, poof, it's gone. But the gold, silver, and precious stone, man, it just becomes more radiant, and it's a reflection of the glory of God. And so as we walk through life, we have the promise of the Spirit and the refining fire of Christ falling on us, stretching us on the highway of holiness. Don't get discouraged because you feel like everything's not working in your life. Everything's not working out in your life because the Lord wants to work more of his life into you. Like our lives are not like just a bed of roses. Everything's perfect. I mean, why can't, why can't I be like everybody else that I see on uh, Facebook? Because they're fake. That's not real. Everybody's not going to Cancun all the time, right? (laughs) It's not real. Like everybody's struggling. I watched the the documentary Sly last night about Sylvester Stallone. 
great observations from his part. He talks about all the fame, and then at the end, he's saying, man, what's it all worth it if it costs you your family? And he's talking about what's the most important is relationships and how he sacrificed so many of those things. That's the eternal stuff, man. I'm not saying Sylvester Stallone Rambo's an evangelist. I'm just saying there's some things there like, you see, it doesn't matter how much wealth that you have. It's about the kingdom of God being worked into your life. And we're all struggling. And God is refining us. And then the torch is indicative of the spirit of God guiding us. The light, the, the word is a lamp unto my feet. And so as I read the word, I'm hearing from God. I'm hearing the voice of God and I'm working it into my life. And the good life is falling on me and it only gets better, Abe. He says, you're going to live to be in old age, but then you're going to die and go to your ancestors. And that's what we're doing. Like we're going to die at some point and we go and cross over. But until that time, we are to bring heaven to earth as that's what we are, citizens of heaven. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. How do you need to work the kingdom into your life today? What do you need to surrender? What birds of prey are you dealing with? Is it the hawk of hopelessness, the falcon of fear, the condor of complacency? What needs to be driven out of your life right now for you to lay hold of the good life? We're going to take communion together, but we're going to have a time of prayer before we do that. You can come to the altar. You can, there'll be people up here to pray with you if you'd like to pray with someone. You can pray right there where you're seated. But before you partake of the elements of communion this morning, make sure that you're listening to the Lord and you have this private little worship and ask him what it is that you need to drive away or surrender in your life in this moment in time. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.